Grace and peace from God our Father, Jesus our Saviour, and from the Holy Spirit. And I say that especially this morning. In some churches, you would hear that every Sunday, but we don't use that. But I want to particularly say it today because we want protection on this word this morning. You see, today's teaching may be hard, but the truth is rarely easy. Human trafficking and modern-day slavery is a huge issue, an issue about money, sex, and power in the end. The statistics are mind-numbing, and we can't really do it justice this morning. Yet we can't ignore it either. For although we may not be uh, conscious perpetrators, we can become pawns and enablers unless we intentionally resist slavery culture, unless our prayers press in against this evil, which is what today is about. And this afternoon we continue our prayers for uh, resistance. Our prayers become a resistance movement. So what just is human trafficking? Here's a definition. Human trafficking is a criminal activity in which people are recruited, harbored, transported, provided, bought, received, or kidnapped, all those words, and are exploited through fraud, force, or coercion into situations like sexual slavery, forced labor, organ trafficking, or even child soldiery. Comes from the United States and United Nations definition. Closely related are corrupt businesses, like predatory lending, luring those who can't afford it into contracts from which they can't escape. And it's the second largest and fastest growing illegal trade in the world. And yet, it strikes at the heart of what it means for humanity to be created in God's image, dehumanizing victims, robbing them of their dignity and freedom, motivated by profit, the bottom line is that people get used as things. People get used as commodities. And this activity takes place around the world. It can be mapped as a global movement. It's scary to see the patterns of it globally moving across the globe, particularly in those two primary forms, sex trafficking or labor trafficking. Don't think it doesn't happen near where you live. It will be in your back streets. When we lived in Sutton, we were the officers there, Croydon was very proud of the fact that it had got rid of human trafficking. What it actually did was push it all into the back streets of Sutton. So wherever we try and diminish it and get rid of it, it moves somewhere else. It's in our back streets. It's in the back streets where you live. The facts are almost incomprehensible. Victims of sex trafficking come in all ages, including small children, stolen or sold by their families. 700,000 to 2 million women and children are trafficked across borders each year for prostitution, while 14.23 million people are trapped in forced labour. Globally, the International Labour Organization estimates there is such physical and psychological control, including debt bondage, that victims believe they have no choice.
but to continue working for their employer. Slavery is the commodification of people, treating people as objects to be bought and sold. We were intended, says the Bible, for an I-you relationship with God and with each other. I look at you, you look at me. What happens in the dynamic of slavery, slavery, it becomes an I-it dynamic. And this I-it dynamic happens to women, men, boys and girls the world over, but often to women and girls. Units of production to be bought and sold. And this should not come as a shock to us. History is built on the legacy of slave trades, including our own history. I don't mean the Salvation Army history, I mean the UK, Britain. And slave trades are always human trafficking in one form or another. And we have to therefore acknowledge the dark temptation within each one of us to take advantage over another person. If it's been through history, if it's been through national heritages, then it's in us. It's in you and me. This poisonous streak to take advantage, to dominate somebody else. And the Joseph story is kind of a timeless story. Now, we were only able to read a snippet of it this morning, but it's part of a huge, lots of chapters narrative from the boy Joseph, and it tells us a story of how easily we become tempted, having been the victim to become the perpetrator. You see, Joseph, the boy many chapters before our readings this morning, was initially sold into slavery by his brothers, wasn't he? He was the victim. So when the Ishmaelites, it says, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt, who then sell him on to Pharaoh. And that's why he ends up in Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh takes notice of Joseph, sees his potential, sees his gifting, pulls him out, starts to give him more responsibilities. And we pick the story up when Pharaoh advances Joseph's career to chief of the staff, the most senior role under the general. It's a great honour. But in that role description of chief of the staff, the remit is to make the nation slaves. And so Joseph becomes the one who was the slave to arch slave trader. He has to secure, you see, Pharaoh's food policy. Now, you know, don't you, that this text is all within that whole span of years, which was about seven years of famine. Uh, Sorry, first of all, seven years of plenty. Pharaoh dreams there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then he's going to, he dreams there's going to be seven years of famine. So in order to, to kind of um, grab at stuff to put in his warehouses, all the grain for that seven years famine he believes is coming up, he, he just adopts the mechanism of slavery to do that. Food is a weapon and a tool of control, isn't it, for all of us? We see it even today. 
and Joseph is told he has to deliver this food policy. And so he takes control in three ways, and we had it in our text this morning. The peasants, having no food, come on their own, come to Joseph and pay money. That's the first thing they do for their food. And what happens? The food runs out. So in the second year, they come and say, we need food, we've got no money left, we'll give you our cattle. So the cattle get handed over, that's in the second year. And in the third year, they've got nothing, but they're starving. So they go to Joseph and say, we've given you our money, we've given you our cattle, which Karl Marx talked about about the means of production, we'll give you ourselves. We'll sell you ourselves. And I think we come over to the most tragic text, or one of the most tragic texts in the scriptures. As for the people, he made slaves of them from one end of Egypt to the other. In the third year, they surrender their freedom. They surrender their bodies. They surrender their lives. As for the people, he made them slaves from one end of the Egypt to the other. I wouldn't want that written on my epitaph, would you? He made them slaves. When God leads his people out of slavery to freedom, they are freed for a purpose. When we are led out from slavery to freedom... We are freed for a purpose. And the purpose is never to do that again. Freedom comes with a price. To some extent it's unconditional. Because it's an act of love by God. But that love has rules and laws. And God says you will never do that again to anyone else. You must now live out my way of neighborliness, compassion, and fairness, a way that will ever confront this lusting after power and wealth control. This is how we are to live, as a neighborly alternative Jesus culture, remembering the disadvantage, refusing to profit at another person's expense. Why? Because Deuteronomy says, don't forget where you came from. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheep in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It should be left for the alien, the orphan and the widow, so that your Lord, God, may bless you in your undertakings. When you beat your olive trees, don't strip it completely. It should be for the alien, the orphan, the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, don't glean everything. Leave some. It shall be left for the alien, the widow, and the orphan. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. So you see, we were once all slaves, but we're created for freedom. And Christ has set us free. Amen? We are with Jesus, it's our identity, and we have to daily choose to resist becoming pawns and enablers. For Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, 
or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or power or control. Of course, human traffickers are doing what power brokers have always done. It might be more blatant and more obvious than the same, but they have the same old goal, profiteering. Empires aren't designed to deliver forgiveness and blessing, you see, but the churches, this is the work of the church. So here's the bottom line. Unless we're intentional about living daily in the big things and the little things as witnesses to God's alternative rule and reign, we become part of the problem. Why? Because you and I, the minute we step out that door, are under daily pressure to buy and sell and accumulate at the expense of the vulnerable. It's everywhere. The people that are begging on the streets, is there a human trafficker behind that? The shops you buy in, is there human trafficking behind that? The products you buy. I say that to you, I'm saying it to me as well. And I'm doing my little bit to try to remember. And we're constantly dragged into a game in which sex and money linked to power is made to look really attractive. Just as the abuser, you see, wants the victim to think that what's happening is their fault, so the advertising world wants you to imagine the pursuit of money, sex and power is actually quite fun. And it's all your brilliant idea. So whilst we, for example, may enjoy cheap products, others may well be suffering forced labour in sweatshops somewhere else. The kingdom alternative of which Jesus is Lord insists there is no need to live in a way that increases misery for our brothers and sisters. So let me offer a new vision this morning as we come to the conclusion. It's a paraphrase of the scriptures by our wonderful friend, theologian Walter Brueggemann. I say friend because we quote him so often in this congregation. You must feel you know him. But this is how he paraphrases, and he's a specialist in Old Testament scholarship. And he speaks from the point of view of the Israelites who are walking into their newfound freedom. And this is what he says. We headed out into a new world and departed Pharaoh. The memory so vivid to us culminated at Sinai. We assented in a blank check to the new rules of Yahweh, because we knew they would be better than the old quotas of Pharaoh. From the mountain, we heard the holy voice of the covenant speak to us about the love of God and love of neighbor. And this is it. We pledged our loyalty. And in that instant, were converted from a company of weary slaves to a people summoned to neighborliness. It was a transformation, he says, wrought by the holy power of Yahweh, but we gladly signed on. Can we say that this morning? Lord, we gladly sign on. We will move beyond our singing. We will move into action. We must go. So in the name of Jesus, who died and rose to put the abuse of power in its place, 
Let us refuse to be enablers and pawns to slave culture. May we live lovingly yet critically towards regimes which profit from power over others. May we instead do power for and power with our fellow brothers and sisters. Let us be a resistance movement, living simply so that others may simply live. For we can, in the words of Micah, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. May God bless our long walk to freedom. Amen.